Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world. And this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. This is episode six of Writing While Handicapped. I'm Derek McFadden, the author of What Death Taught Terrence. I'm here with Simon Wood, the author of Paying the Piper and many other books. Simon, you had said that this is the 20th anniversary of your first book being published. What book was that? And what um, was that, that was like? called, that was Accidents Waiting to Happen. That came out 20 years ago this, like this week, I think, or something, or, or next week. But yeah, it's it's kind of a weird milestone because, it you know, writing was never going to be my thing. And I sort of like avoided the written word for a very long time. So yeah, it was kind of uh, an unusual thing. And would you say it was different publishing 20 years ago than it is now? I mean, as somebody uh, who publishes? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I basically worked my way up through small presses and then, you know, to sort of like uh, New York publishing and stuff like that, which was because there, w- there wasn't any kind of self-publishing. You couldn't self-publish back then at all. Um, right? You could do Vanity Press yeah. in those days, which was kind of like you paid $100 or something for someone to do a, a print-on-demand right. kind of thing. But yeah. no, the, like the, the, the person who or the people that published the first book, the print run was only 3,000 copies. Yeah. Which wasn't a bad print run for, you know, for you know a, an unknown author. Yeah, course. for a first-timer, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Now, I'm assuming that your writing process is a little bit different. Like, my writing process is a little bit different because I have cerebral palsy, so I can only type mm-hmm. with two fingers. My vision is... I'm legally blind, so I have to be close to the computer. <laughs> um, yeah. What's your writing process like? What do you think your writing process is like? Um, it's sort of like it's kind of evolved. I think yeah. in the beginning, I think because I am dyslexic, I don't think I kind of realized how I'd been sort of um, sliding through life really not really understanding anything about grammar or anything like that and so at the beginning it was my wife reading books to me on writing and you know actually understanding how a sentence is constructed and so it was kind of like I had to literally learn what was you know what was a sentence what was a paragraph and then you know I taught myself what how does a composition a short story or a novel go together and then once I understood that you know I kind of developed my own sort of systems of one I outline but I don't outline like anybody else I outline on a spreadsheet and break everything down into tiny bite-sized pieces too much information i'm lost so Mm -hmm. mine is just like bullet point of how how my story goes together i write blind essentially in that i will just write it i don't care what i've done wrong i don't care what i've done right it's just get the the story down i will write the thing from page one to page 300 or whatever it is and i won't look back you get all the way done and then yeah. what, and then what's the editing like for you is is it is it different? um it's my yeah the, the well one thing is i've developed my um i use microsoft word so i've kind of like developed the grammar 
part of, and the spelling thing that if I I make certain kind of pattern mistakes so I've kind of built in that if I if I put in these kind of key words it will throw up to me hey you've got a grammar issue you've got a spelling issue uh, you know some of it will auto correct for me but some of it will just literally just flash up a you know a big bright light it'll be right there for you yeah (laughs) let's let's stop you there that doesn't make any sense yeah but the other side of that is which helps me get rid of some of like the the basic junk but the other side of it is is my wife reads everything and so she reads it and so she now over 20 years has a shorthand of of my garbalese when (laughs) i when i kind of write it so she can sort of like go you know all my manuscripts annotated as i do the drafts so I will put in there, I don't think this is how I want to say it, but we'll talk about it. You know, you know, this seems clunky. What do you think? So there's all this sort of annotation on the side of wherever my sort of like insecurities are. But then she will read it and then I will go back and review it. If it's a really bad part, it's usually we will talk about it. But then as we get closer to the, depending on the story, we may have like, five rewrites or we may end up with a dozen rewrites sure but yeah but as we kind of zero in on towards the end she will read it to me and so that's sort of all and i've sort of like grown up on audio books so have i yep so i kind of have that ear to sort of like go hey you know that looks better on the page than it sounds or that's not how i thought i wrote it and so there's kind of that thing so even like a simple email to someone doesn't go out to anybody without her reading it unless i'm saying yes <laughs> and no guarantees but right. but if i can be you know monosyllabic then i don't n- normally have to waste her time but normally if i've got to do anything that someone you hope is going to understand what you're talking about then she she is the one who will read it before it goes out all right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so do you have editors at your current publisher that also read it? Yeah, and yeah. So but I still reader. won't. Okay. But I won't let them ever read it. I don't want to give away, <laughs> you know, sort of like right. how bad it is. So well, it's course. that thing of um, I don't care who it's for, whether it's a tiny little magazine or the biggest publisher or whatever it is. It doesn't go to anybody before she's read it. Somebody you trust to know. Yeah. You. Yeah, exactly. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So I just read Paying the Piper because I, I asked you, I said, which one would you say as a as a gateway into Simon Wood books would you read? And you said Paying the Piper. And it is wonderful. It's just a great book. <laughs> I'm sure they all are. What's it like? Because it's sort of a puzzle. And I'm assuming most of your books as thrillers are sort of puzzles. What's that like building that puzzle? Is Is the spreadsheet I mean, do you involve spreadsheets in that? Because for me, I couldn't, I could not write puzzles. I love reading them. I could not write them. I guess my books are are, are simpler in the sense that I guess they're message books, but yeah, they, they, but they're not puzzle books. Do you understand the difference? And, yeah, yeah. Part of it was, you know, my if you like, my previous life was I was a mechanical engineer. I designed things for oil refineries. I, I worked in water treatment and designed plants that you could you know made water safe and all this sort of stuff so i have that and i and one thing that i did when i was in the oil industry is especially with my boss you did my old boss who was kind of my mentor was a through my teens and 20s a company i worked at was we would have these philosophy meetings where we would sketch out the 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 piece of kit that we were making for a refinery or a 
rig or whatever it was. And then we basically, he would go, what if I close that valve? What happens now? And you say, well, that would, that would set off this relief valve and it'd be, it'd be fine. It wouldn't, it wouldn't cause a problem. It'd still keep operating, but it would send a message. You need to come out and look at this. And then be like, oh yeah, but what if that is closed and that is closed? And so you kind of built up this sort of mentality of walking into a room and looking at the situation and, and going, I can tell you 10 ways in the next 30 minutes, everything's going to go wrong. You know, this is kind of like, no one has thought about this, this, or this. And that's wow. kind of like this sort of like mindset that I had. So when I do the books, I kind of like, I do have a spreadsheet. I have maps on the wall of like, how how do I get from A to B? I will walk the crime scene. I will go, like a lot of the places in the book, yeah. I kind of would walk along and do the whole thing. And like go, if I was doing this, where would I be? How long would it take? Do I stick out doing this? And then just look for little. And then to look, if you do walk the the, the sort of like the, the crime scene or the set piece that you're kind of writing for the book is then kind of like go, this is what I wanted to happen. What little nuggets will, will appear on a Thursday in the afternoon when this moment is set? And I go, oh, that's weird. I would never have thought that this would be happening at that time. And right. then go, well, I can now, you know, reincorporate that into the story. So Paying the Piper is about a kidnapping. Now, I'm assuming you've never kidnapped anybody because, you know. <laughs> so how do you know how the FBI, you know, is going to handle those types of things? Are there people you can talk to at the FBI? I'm yeah, I, I do a lot of um, first-person interviews with people. Okay. And so I just, somebody I, I vaguely knew at the time, and I, I just sort of went to the FBI and said, I, I want to talk about kidnapping someone. <laughs> and, and they said, and their response was, you'd get caught. And I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, but I want to know how you would go about it. He goes, you'd get caught. And I'm going, yeah, I don't want to get caught on page 12. I want them to get caught on page 300. So how would I do it? And so we we finally, you know, there were very, there was a, a bit of a moment, but finally we kind of talked about the hypothetical. I sort of like forgot my book and just said, you know, what, how's it all go? And they gave me a big book of kidnapping procedures, which is kind of like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. They have a book? Yeah, wow. they had a woman, a woman who was one of their FBI agents, and she basically came up with a structured sort of like thing that basically says, is, you know, it starts off, is this a kidnapping for profit or is this a kidnapping for family, an emotional kidnapping? And so, you know, that takes you down a certain set of procedures that you should do if it's right. one thing or the other. And it keeps sort of like leading you. It's like, if, if this, do this, if that, do that. And so the interesting thing of just talking about that was just seeing cracks in the armor. Of you like going, we realized because it was like going, well, we would control, we would control the family's phones. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, it's like we'd, we'd own, we'd, like uh, we'd basically get, it like basically, basically can divert everything. They, they would talk to like Verizon or whatever, whoever oh, okay. it was and said, you know, these numbers whatever anybody calls it gets copied to us the phone call gets routed to us and it kind of said all you know all this and they have this sort of like machine that basically will you know will go on a truck and it will tell everybody where the, the phone is coming from they can they can trap and trace in about two seconds wow it's not like in the movies where it's like keep them on the phone for another it literally this was when i wrote the book like 10 plus years ago uh -huh. it's like we can trap and trace in about three seconds that so you're like going, well oh, you wow. can't do anything on the phone 
but if I introduce a phone they don't know about, then right. then that becomes, you know, I've basically all your tech is now rendered useless because it's not because they haven't tapped it. They don't because they oh. don't know about it. So it was right. the thing of like where you can introduce a secret phone. It was the I mean one of the things I didn't even realize I, I you could there's amazing junk for writers on the internet <laughs> and it was just like ransom money is I was saying oh it will be mixed bills and everything like that and I said how much would that weigh and there's a little calculator and it said 175 pounds oh and I went well no one's walking around with 175 pounds on their back because every bill regardless of denomination weighs one gram and so it was like well it will have to be in hundreds because a million dollars weighs 22 pounds in hundreds and then you suddenly go now I've got a logistical issue of transporting money physical oh money is a gosh. headache and you're like going, well what do i do about that and you kind of come up with a workaround and then you know the marking of money how the money is marked is was you know you were completely told and went oh you went oh there isn't bunches of guys you know putting a uv light on a bunch of bills it's already <laughs> done it's just and so it's that thing of like you know if you compress the timeline they've already got it covered it's you know it's 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 the 21st century so it just became a thing of like how can i use things that would slow things down it was like it was the same with like ransom drops it was the thing of like they said these are the strategies that we use and then you go well you know i have there's that means i can come up with a way of like ruining your strategy Right. Because there's a certain amount of unpredictability to it. Because one of them was, you know, it's that usual thing of like drive to this, you know, drive to Timbuktu, leave it in a mailbox and For turn away. Yeah. And that's like a legitimate way of doing it. But they said what they can't cover is the fact they, they tell you to go to Timbuktu, but five miles into your journey, they slam into you with, with a truck and then just rob you at the side of the road. No one's prepared for that. So if you suddenly realize, well, I can start messing and playing with the the former there are certain amounts of just for for storytelling purposes the fbi would for would sure actually have things covered but there was a certain amount of stuff where you kind of go the chance elements that i can play with will make it entertaining but you know in real 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 life right some of a lot of these would be covered i can fudge this i can fudge this and and no one's gonna yeah that makes yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So I I was also reading on on the Goodreads, and it says that you're also a horror author under a pen name. Is that <laughs> is that accurate? Yeah, I I I ran into a problem that I I started off mainly in horror at the beginning. Okay. But it was the fact that accidents when it happened was a thriller and got picked up and it, it kind of pulled my work in a different direction but I still wrote I was still writing horror short stories and novellas and things and I ran into the issue to the mystery thriller community I was that horror guy who wrote stuff and in the horror world I was kind of like that that mystery guy who writes horror something so I just came <laughs> came up with a pen name to separate church and state and sort of like go Oh yeah, that makes sense. There's there's two of me. You know, you know what you're getting if if you buy one name or the other. So as as part of your writing process, I always ask authors if they write every day. Do you write every day? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's an, a certain rhythm to it. When I when I had a day job, it was I wrote in my lunch hour, and then I wrote between seven and nine at night. Now it's the thing of trying to you know write my main story sort of during the week, and then play with side projects at the weekend. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. The, the easy question for me next is, do you have an idea of what's coming next for you uh, as far as as far as what's what's going to be published next? Yeah, there's about, unfortunately, I always try, I, I always, 
I can't do one thing at a time. Right. So there's about four four things that are being worked on as what would would come come next kind of thing. But what one does come next, I don't know. Because one thing is, I am working on a memoir about dyslexia. Okay, you are. I wanted to sort of like tell that it's not quite what people think dyslexia is, and it doesn't affect everybody the same way. So I wanted to sort of talk about how I was as a kid in school and in college, some of the sort of turning moments, and then just do a little bit of discussing the writing process and how I've had to approach it and, and come to it differently to to most people. Do you mind talking a little bit about just in everyday life, how dyslexia affects you? Because it does affect people differently. Um, yeah, um, for me, it, it's, it's kind of weird. One, my reading comprehension is extremely slow so i read at a pace that is like in the bottom one percent i've done the testing about three times to see with the writing whether it's changed who i am i think i've just got better at coping i'm just not any different right so i so my reading comprehension is extremely slow and my ability to understand what i'm reading is pretty poor my reading level i think is i can't remember if it's if it's eighth grade level or something but i don't know left from right I know what left and right is. Interpreting left and right is very difficult. Oh. I have a spatial awareness kind of thing. So I have that too, personally. <laughs> yes. So when I was in engineering, I could hold a complete refinery in my head because I made it. It was my world. It was my thing. So I knew right. where I knew where everything was. But if I walked into somebody's, it would take me a, a you know, a pretty hot minute to sort of like know where the hell I was. So the thing I will get is if I stood on a, a street and I looked north to south and looked at that, I, I would understand it. I would be able to comprehend it. But if I went to the end of that street, turned around and looked south to north, I'd be looking at a completely different place. Oh, wow. Okay. That totally makes sense. Okay. So, you know, it doesn't matter if the Starbucks was on the right and now it's on the left, I don't equate those Starbucks as the same place, but just on, I'm just seeing them from a different perspective. Okay. So just me traveling around, I have to, I have to learn a town from every direction. My home, where I live, I have to understand that I am driving into four different towns with the same name when I enter, whether it's north, south, east, west, because I don't make a correlation that this street coming down that way is the same as going down the same street, but from the opposite direction. So I don't have any, it might take me, it literally might take me a decade yeah. to actually understand that this main street is the same main street. I'm just coming at from different ends of it. That makes sense to me. For the first two weeks I was in my, in my house, I've been here 25 years for the first two weeks, I was lost in my own house. Yeah. And I, I kept, uh, I kept going to my brother's room and saying, wait, isn't this my, and I, it was so confusing. So like, I, I get that uh, as somebody who's legally blind, plus the palsy, the legal blindness makes for spatial awareness issues. Yeah, yeah, I can and, imagine. And it, it's, it's also hard because in my own head, I'm thinking people are seeing this and they think I'm stupid. Yeah. And that hurts so much. And so I... Boy, when as you were talking about that, it, it was really hitting. Me. Yes, I I get it. Yeah, I mean, my thing, you know, through through like, you know, school was trying to have, try not to be seen. 
try not yeah. to anybody to see that I come over as a dim bot in in this in this room because I won't be able to to read something and if I do read yeah. it I'm more likely to misinterpret 10,000 things about it and it's like just if I can be avoided or get through the day without making a splash then you know that's a good day but that you know that kind of has its effect on you especially yeah. going through your younger years but yeah, so I kind of have that spatial thing. So I will do something weird because of that, especially if I'm a, a convention or a conference or something. Mm-hmm. I actually had this where I went, oh, I'll be clever. I'll walk into the into the auditorium or, or whatever it is where I'm speaking and I'll come in from a different door. Didn't know where the hell I was. Oh. Although I'd been in, in that room the day before sure. because I've like gone, I'll oh, come in from stage left. It's like, where the hell is this room? This all seems new. So I will do like a thing of like, once I get used to, especially in a, in a town that I'm visiting, you know, like a conference or a book sign or something. If I know how to get to the place from one direction, I will then, and I say, oh, I'm going to go and get lunch or whatever. And I'll come back. I will make the same sort of like one path that I actually know I can find it again and not say, well, I, there's a shortcut through here. Because I'll get lost. If I try and take, yeah. come back, to return a different mm. way, I'll get lost. Yeah. So I know that if, so I'll have to take the long, long way round, but it's the right way round for me. Cause it's the, it's the one I've got imprinted on my head and I'm only in this town for a day. So I don't want to learn a second way. Yeah. So you'll make these kind of like the the shortest length isn't A to B. For me, it's like going, it is as long as we keep going this way and we don't try and get clever and trying to, you know, shorten that distance in some way. I know this path. So let's stay on this path. Yeah. 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 That totally, that makes so much (laughs) sense to me. As a kid, I had a compass in my pocket when I was a little kid. It's like, I know that I need to be going on roughly a bear in this direction to, (laughs) to, you know, if I'm going around, it's like, I am not going to get lost today. So I had a little pocket thing that I could pull out if I got into a bit of a, you know, a moment. I've always hated riding buses because I've always been afraid that they were going to let me off and then I wasn't going to know where I was supposed to go. Yeah, yeah, I I totally get that. I have got off at the wrong spots whether it be like a like the light rail or you know a bus or something and you're like going well then then there's always a thing of like i remember it drops me off here but how do i get back on yeah where's the stop that's the corresponding stop yeah so i've like got on you know trains and gone in completely the wrong direction only because like uh i understand this platform (laughs) yeah Oh man. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I feel totally seen and heard by you now. So I'm like, (laughs) that makes so much sense. Let me ask you, uh, if if people, our listeners want to get in touch with you and, and learn more about your books, where do they go online to do that? If they go to simonwood.net, that will point them in various directions, whether if they want to go to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, there's, you know, there's a little buttons for that sure. but that's their uh that's their sort of like uh, landing spot all right and i think the thing we've learned today is that is that a million dollars weighs 22 pounds exactly that that, that is that is, i wow all right writing while handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the authors on the air global radio network thank you so much uh simon for coming on and boy this has been a really illuminating conversation i hope everybody else loved it because i really enjoyed it thank you so much thanks a lot goodbye everybody 